Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow and welcome to Tech Interviews. This week we focus on availability of all of the things as we look at the automation and orchestration of DR. So, settle back and enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to another episode of Tech Interviews. Uh, so this week, uh, we're digging into something that um, I've actually just had some recent experience of. I've, I've been working on a project where we've been building um, some disaster recovery plans for, for quite a big organization. Um, so when I saw this announcement from Veeam recently uh, about a new product called Availability Orchestrator, um, it really caught my attention um, because it's, uh, it's designed to help and assist organizations build DR, um, DR plans and, and DR execution plans. So, um, so I wanted to take a chance to dig into that. So, uh, so to help me to do that, um, I've got my almost constant companion on this podcast uh, from Veeam, Michael Cade. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hello, Paul. I'm basically your co-host. Uh, you are yes, you you are on the show almost as much as me. So um, yeah, so uh, regular contributor to the show. Um, so uh, well, Michael works for Veeam, so probably no surprise that he's on talking about um, talking about this Veeam solution. So, um, but anyway, before we get into that, Michael, why don't you uh, introduce yourself for those who have um, amazingly avoided you so far? Uh, but why don't you introduce yourself, tell people who you are, and a little bit about what it is you do. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I'm a global technologist at, at Veeam Software. So what that is, is, I sit under the product strategy team. We get to write lots of cool content. We get to speak to cool people like Paul in regards to our products and solutions, uh, as well as speaking at events. So if you if you're heading to any of the IT events across the across the year, you're nine times out of ten. If Vima on the show floor, then you're probably going to see one of our team in there. Probably me. I love doing all of the miles. I can possibly do. Um, but yeah, it's around thought leadership, around that technical thought leadership, solution driven. That's the that's really where our our lifeblood is within that team. Uh, which was why I, I did mention that um, amazingly, if people have avoided you so far, because it but because it's more difficult than it sounds. Um, so, um, well, one thing I wanted to do before we kind of, uh, and it's interesting you mentioned actually there this kind of strategic and, and thought leadership position that, um, you know, and I, and I think this, this new kind of application, this, this new solution sits, sits really well in that. I'm um, saying it's, and it's quite good timing because it's something that I, I've been working on recently with a, with a couple of customers. Um, but before we get into that, there was, there was something uh, that I did want to touch on and, uh, the, the, the name of the, the, the solution is availability orchestrator. Um, and I think that, that word availability is um, is quite an important one because I think many people maybe look at Veeam as the backup and recovery uh, recovery company, and I'm, I'm doing that in air quotes, which always works well on a podcast, I find. Um, but I think we've seen a shift over the last eight, 18 months, two years, um, to Veeam talking increasingly about this idea of availability as opposed to talking about uh, backup and recovery. So uh, maybe you can give us a couple of minutes just on, on what that shift means and, and how availability differs from backup and recovery. Yeah, so so I guess from our point of view, it's yes. So backup is great and kind of a table stake. And if if it wasn't for backup, none of us would be uh, we'd, we'd be working for a charity and not not um, getting a wage at the end of the month. But backup is just the start of availability. Backup is a part of that availability message as well as replication is part of that. So great, yes. Everyone has to back up something somewhere at some time. I think. The, the really important part there is how you recover and how fast we can recover the certain workloads, whether that's a single file, whether that's an application item, whether it's a full VM, whether it's a physical box, 
cloud instance, you name it, like how fast can we recover and get that system, that service back up and running as fast as possible? I think the, the next stage is the replication, so being able to send virtual machines or, or instances from site A to site B in, in regards to a disaster, as well as having a, an overview, a good level of visibility into our infrastructure. There's not many customers that I speak to now where they do just have virtualization, physical, uh, so they don't just have that one siloed approach of virtualization. They now have a construct of public cloud, potentially multiple public clouds, especially as we grow it, as we speak to more enterprises, they don't want to lock into, into one AWS or one Azure. They want to sp spread and span over both as well as physical boxes where licensing rules are, are stopping them from virtualizing maybe, as well as software as a service. Now, who wouldn't, as a, as a, maybe as an IT admin, maybe that's a, a good why I wouldn't, is why would I want to put my exchange into Office 365 Mail? Well, that's the way life's going because we don't want to have to manage that underneath. So you take all of those factors and we have to then be, a, be very, clever and, and understand where and why and what we need to back up when it comes to those different facets and if we do need to back them up or and then how do we recover them and that's really the whole availability having visibility into that we have our own reporting and monitoring against those workloads to understand what's going on is it is it best to be in that aws cloud or is it best to be in the public cloud do we bring it back so that, that's when we talk about the whole availability of data. It's not just backup and replication. It's so much more of that, and it's around the visibility about the aggregation of all of that, those workloads, and how do we how do we protect those, and how do we recover those if we need to. Yeah, that, that's um, it's interesting. I wrote a blog post recently about um, talking about availability, and I think one of the things that always strikes me with this is that organizations today are not very tolerant of downtime you know people aren't necessarily interested with i can recover something in two or three hours actually they never want that thing to be down in the first place and you know and, and regardless of the situation whether it's just somebody's accidentally deleted some files through to the complete loss of a data center i, I think increasingly you know modern digitally driven organizations just can't tolerate um, tolerate this counter down, counter downtime and i mean is that is that the kind of thing you see when you're talking about availability it's actually that organizations just can't tolerate downtime and and systems being unavailable yeah so we in our marketing as well as our research with analysts etc we we speak to people a lot about the availability gaps and the, the requirements of or an sla of we need to back this up between the hours of X, Y, and Z, but we also need a recovery point objective of one, two, three, and actually the system is not powerful enough to allow for that for that crossover of, of time of when the actual protection is taking place. So that's what we call the availability gap from that point. I guess, it, so to put, put it into perspective as well is around, so you've seen or you've heard it seems that we hear a lot more about public companies going offline and think like major airlines as well that are going going off in the last seems like in the last 18 months there's been more more news around this availability within within IT as well it's always their IT systems that have gone down whether it's a data center power outage whether it's weather or or, or a another failure scenario that's happened 
So everyone's more aware of it. But also, from a consumer point of view, just I was booking train tickets to go to London the other the other day, and I'd go on my normal, let's say, um, Portal One, and I go on there, and they it was so slow, it didn't work, it wasn't, it was timing out. Not to mention the uh, the home internet worries that I've had, but it, it was it was just because of the service. So I instantly went over to to the next portal, portal two, which I knew was there, and I booked my tickets through that one because. But how many other customers did exactly that? So how much impact does that have? So it's one thing for that workload to be down, but how much brand or how much revenue did they lose because of how many consumers actually went from portal A to a competitor within a different within a different um, company? Yeah, and I think that's a, I think that's a great example of the, um, you know, the, the way for lots of organisations that we're heading, and and this idea that, you know, we just can't tolerate downtime because not not only is that inconvenient and stops us delivering services, but you know potentially can lose us customers and, and ultimately lose us revenue. So so I suppose this this kind of release of, um, of availability orchestrator um, it kind of plays quite nicely into that, doesn't it? That you know regardless of the situation, what we want to be able to do is ensure that our systems can recover quickly and be online, and that actually our users, our you know, and our end users and our customers don't actually notice whether we have um, some, some kind of incident that that may otherwise take a system down. Um, and so, you know, for lots of us, and I kind of started this off talking about something I've been doing recently where I've been working on these kind of disaster recovery plans and, and continuity plans with an organization. And lots of the stuff that we've been doing has been quite traditional. You know, we've been writing, um, we've been writing scripts to deliver it. We've been looking at writing documentation, making sure users know where stuff is. Um, but, but that comes with its with its own set of problems. And, and that's really why this, this kind of uh, this release that, that Veeam have just made really caught my attention. So, so what's kind of the background to this? You know, so this is obviously around building disaster recovery plans. Um, but but what's the background? What, what is it that Veeam have seen that, um, you know, what, what's the gap in the way that people traditionally delivered uh, kind of disaster recovery and business continuity? You know, what are the kind of things that you guys have seen that have driven you to develop this uh, this solution? Yeah, so, uh, like, so I come from a sysadmin background, right? So I know the the issues and problems and the yeah the, the the pains of that run book that documentation where you can spend so long in writing each and every different step out but then you've actually got to go through and test that and you've then got to follow that that plan and hopefully no one wants you to actually bring down the production but you've still got to do a dr test to to suit to, to tick the box for the auditors or for the actual C-level execs, you've got to make sure that it's there. So that I think that's one of the biggest pain points, as you mentioned, around that that whole this whole disaster recovery business continuity piece. Then I also touched on just then about testing. So I want to be able to test my disaster recovery without affecting anything in the live, but I need to make sure that all of my data is over in that secondary site. I want to be able to spin it up, automate it, bring it up, let's have a check whether everything is up and running as we expect according to that run book and then be able to drop that down. And instead of having that six, nine, 12 months, let's do it every week or let's do it every month so that we're, we're confident as IT admins. I remember, so back in the day as an IT admin, 
I remember running the, these these run books and running these plan DR scenarios, which you'd be you would be um, not looked at in a very good light within the company because you're basically telling them that you can't make money for the weekend because we have to do this test that has to offline everything on the production until we get it over to that secondary system. So, and, and it just adds to that whole IT, it's always a problem with IT within your business, but that's a whole different podcast probably, Paul. Um, the, so that execution of that, that test was always a bit of a pain point for IT admins. So here we go, we've got documentation, massive pain point. We've got testing, massive pain point. What happens actually if we ever have to trigger that that um, backup or that disaster recovery plan? We've got to make sure that one, have we done it in the last six months? How many new people in the team? How big is that team? Who does what? Uh, obviously that's where you do that dry run. That's where you do that testing. But no one stays in the same business or the same group or anything any anymore so it was it was always going to be a bit of a oh well james has left the business he used to do everything regarding exchange or and we've got now we've got this new guy who yeah okay he knows exchange very well but he doesn't know our systems and he doesn't know this this little hack that we need to do to get it up and running in that secondary location so all of that then becomes it's it's very complex and it takes away a lot of time for that that admin where actually we never want to be out we never want to actually use this this is there as an insurance policy this is there just in case that hurricane zips through that that um flood the snow melts and the floods the data center or any of those those scenarios it's really there for an insurance policy we don't want to be spending all of our time on it i think that's the that's what i'd say the the, the issue for the traditional now, if I wanted to say why have Veeam done that, we're pretty good at highlighting and identifying those pain points. I was going to say that, you know, there's a couple of things that you've said in there, you know, talking about kind of traditional DR and, you know, I'm kind of, again, not good, not a good vision on podcasting, but I'm sat there nodding, nodding vigorously because, you know, I think these are all things that I've seen before when, you know, either things I'm working on now or things I've worked on in the past where, where you're doing this kind of DR strategy type stuff is that actually execution is really difficult. You know, how do you, how do you really have an environment where you can test and execute? And because the stuff is complex, you know, the, and things like you mentioned in there, the idea of, you know, this little hack that we do over here to make sure the system stands up. You know, I think one of the things that you often don't find until you test things is, you know, we picked on Exchange earlier on, didn't we? But you're bringing your Exchange service back online because you've had DR, a, a, a disaster in your main, your main site. That when you bring it on, it's actually all those kind of tier zero stuff that you don't think about. You know, have I got all my domain controllers? Can they be accessed? Have I got DNS servers? You know, it's those things that you don't necessarily know that are difficult to test and you can only ever test when you fail, you know, when you do some kind of DR failover test. And then that comes with its its own complexities. And like you said, you know, that, you know, I think we picked on James, whoever, whoever James is, but James has <laughs> left the business or been sacked or whatever he's done wrong, got a better job, who knows? He's just left. He's yeah, he's gone. Um, but, you know, he's gone, but he's taken all that stuff that he's got in his head with him where's that documented you know how do we make sure that that works and i think there's so so many difficulties with this and it, and it leads to two things happening i think one is or at least one thing happening which is actually organizations don't invest properly in building a business continuity or, D, or dr plan 
and the but the problem that we've got with that is exactly where we started with actually for modern organizations now who are increasingly digitally and data driven that they just can't afford that kind of downtime you know they can't afford for those systems to be available and you end up with this kind of catch-22 don't you that i'm not testing because it's hard but because i'm not testing i run the risk of downtime you know as you're talking about trying to book a train ticket i can't book my train ticket i'm just going to go and use another service because i can and i don't really care about the great disaster you've had in your data center i'm i'm not bothered about that so you know so so i think all of those things really you know position it really well in the, the where some of those difficulties lie so so before i jumped in you was about to say kind of what what veeam have spotted and and maybe where availability orchestrator kind of sits and and helps to solve some of those yeah i get a, another thing just on top of what you just said there paul is around so every, the, the, the fundamental reason why IT or why we do anything here is that well, it, hasn't, it hasn't changed. 10, 15 years ago, if I went in there into our C-level execs and I went, look, I've got a product or I've got a solution that will enable you to reduce costs and mitigate risks, there is not one C-level person across the land that would say no to that if you've if you've got something that's proven that can can achieve that. But so they're two fundamental factors that we can we can potentially solve and actually give back to the business from from a from a beam availability orchestrator point of view. I guess the the, the one thing that I wanted to mention as well, Paul, is around beam backup and replication. Kind of the clues in the name in that it's not just for backup. It's for replication as well. So what that means, though, is so, yes, we are using a, a without going into the, the real deep dive technical architecture of VAO, um, VAO uses VBR, so being backup replication, but it's an embedded version. It's a cut down version. It can use external VBR servers as well. And I'm sure we can go into that another time when you like if, if anyone's really interested in, in hearing more about that, as well as a Veeam One embedded. And again, we can go through what that actually means. So we've built VAO over the top of some pretty successful, already successful architecture. And within that VBR, there's already, already the ability to replicate your virtual machines from site A to site B. They have the concept of something called Sure Backup and Sure Replica, which allows you to spin up and test a failover plan over in that secondary location in an isolated network and allows you to do all of that test. But then and then allows you to do that failover plan. It also allows you to leverage that site as more of a virtual lab to be able to run test and dev type, type environments over in that secondary. So you're not just buying a secondary system. However, if you think about more bigger environments where that, okay, that works, and that's great for some of our customers. I just wrote a massive um, replication series, um, blog blog series on my site that really goes through the, the nitty gritty of, of replication within, within being backup and replication. But what VAO brings is more of a, more of an overarching feel to that. So being able to delegate access to that BNR environment being able to use tags so we're now moving more from a from a scheduling job 
type perspective to now more of a, a policy-based engine to be able to define vSphere tags within your environment so then we use that for our disaster recovery. We can automate the testing before we actually fail over. We can verify before whilst we're failing over as well. And then that key point is around that automated DR, that document documentation, that run book that we can bring. So, yeah, did you... Yeah, I was going to say that I I suppose that that automation part is is so important in this because as we touched on earlier on, I think that the biggest challenge with building disaster recovery into, you know, into a standard day to day operation for a business is that it's so difficult to automate. You know, it's difficult to keep your documentation up to date. It's difficult to do your testing. So so it's a big part of what availability orchestrator brings. Is is it that automation? So it's the orchestration of, of your workload. So. Where our failover plans within VBR are great and they allow you to actually test and there's some already predefined scripts in there to make sure that your domain controllers come up or your SQL box or your exchange, that's great. But it doesn't, there's nothing in there. Well, you can also put some third-party scripts in there, but it doesn't, in a more scalable environment where you don't necessarily want that backup admin to have access to your whole DR plan, there might be, the, the use case where you have a DR team and you have your backup team, not necessarily the same people, you have your storage team. So what we want to be able to do is delegate the control out to those and they can define what they need to do in that instance. So I mentioned around storage. So in this instance, we don't actually care about the storage too much because we're just going to talk to VMware in the first instance and we're going to pull those virtual machines from site A and we're going to push them into our DR site. But what happens if once that's over in that secondary site and we're pushing it to a data store, but maybe the storage team have a have a unique feature in that secondary site that they need to actually switch on. So maybe a license key needs to be applied or, or some part of that run book that needs to be applied. Well, let's automate that using BAO. Let's add that to the job. Let's add that to the failover plan. Let's say, okay, we want to online these other workloads within that system. Let's fire up a domain controller that's already already replicated over to that system. Let's let's spin that up. Just different DNS changes, network changes, etc. just so that everyone can get access to those systems. It might be that you need to expose it out to the public internet because your whole data center plus your main office is all flooded and underwater. So short on getting your feet wet underneath the desk, you don't actually want to be there. You want to give now, you want to give access to your remote workers to work from home on their laptops in their nice warm house. So how do we do that? How do we, and this can all be achieved by running scripts within VAO. So a much more complex um, run book that can be added and, and easily put together, more of a policy-based framework to be able to run against that so that we're giving more we're giving that availability back to our users within our within our custom within our business and i suppose that kind of thing can't can't be underplayed because i think anybody listening to this who's ever been in a situation where they have had some kind of disaster some kind of continuity event 
and suddenly the pressure's on to get systems back up and running. I think the idea that you can press, you know, you can trigger some scripts, tr- trigger a trigger a run book, um, and, and allow that run book to kick off a bunch of predefined steps that you already know are going to work. I think removing that pressure in that situation, you know, I, I, I just can't be underestimated how helpful potentially that is. Yeah, so I, you can tell I get quite passionate about it because back when I was looking after a data center, we were constantly being told that there was going to be a power outage on this day at this time. But you're, don't worry, don't worry, Michael. Your um, your service will be back up before five o'clock on Friday afternoon. Now we all know, don't do that sort of thing on a Friday. Um, yeah. So building that that power maintenance, that's fine. But now I've got to fail over my systems. Generally, it was a manual process as well. Get them over to our secondary data center, spin them up, make sure everything was accessed, change our firewall rules, change our DNS settings, all of that, all of that stuff. And then we were back up and running. And then before we went home on a Friday afternoon, it was let's fail back before Monday. And then we'd look to fail back. No, half the half the data center services were not back up online. So yeah, the power's all up and running, but we don't have access to that system. So what I'm getting at is, okay, yes, we're talking about disaster recovery, which is ultimately I talk about floods and I talk about fires, etc., all the bad stuff that you never want to experience or be a part of. But also think about those planned migrations. Think about those power outages. How do we deal with that from a, a site point of view? Um, big storms hitting the electrical points within the data center. If that, it could blow, blow the, the whole circuit out of that data center. So how do we take that from that point and make sure that we're back up and running in the least possible time in that second, secondary location? Uh, and I think that uh, I think you make a really important point there, and I think you're absolutely right in that it's very easy that when we we plan these kind of things that that people don't think about, um, and, I, and I certainly know I've been guilty of it that we don't think about what everybody thinks about the big disaster. You know, say it's a data center burning down, it's a you know it's a fire, it's it's some of those things. But actually, what they sometimes don't think about are either those kind of planned events. Or even those minor things that might, you know, not not wipe out a data center, but will certainly affect systems. And we talked about right at the beginning, you know, the idea that I want availability. You know, so where three or four years ago we might have accepted some downtime because we're having some work done on power, or we're having a communications thing done, or maybe the aircons failed in the computer room, where we might survive that for three or four hours. Actually, today, people want to simply move those workloads elsewhere so that they maintain operation, they, they maintain being available, and that the business can continue. And actually, as IT, you know, we're, we're the people who just keep those things ticking over. You know, there's nothing more true, is it, that people don't know IT exists until something stops working. So I guess if we, we want to remain in the shadows and nobody's shouting at us, making sure our systems are always on is, is, is a really powerful tool. And again, that, and I think just, just can't be underestimated. So um, but look, as, as, as we kind of come to the, um, the, the end of the time we've got here, you know, so if somebody's listening to this and, and, and wondering about availability orchestrator and where it where it might sit for them, what are a couple of the key things that they can take away from this chat about what availability orchestrator does for them and why they might want to consider it? So it's, I think I used it in a meeting around replication on steroids, being the ability to send your replicated virtual machines to a secondary location, the ability to have a dynamic runbook or dynamic documentation of the processes and the 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 steps 
taken or to be taken as part of that failover. The ability to also leverage that same investment. So if you're if that DR site is purely there for DR, and you've spent a lot of money on that from an operational point of view, but also most likely a capex given given where we are. So the ability to leverage that that workload and use it for patch testing, use it for so another one. I know this is I say this every time, Paul, about compliance being close to your heart. <laughs> Things like security audits, rather than doing it on a test, or sorry, rather than doing it on a production workload and understanding what what's happening, why not do that security audit, that evaluation in an isolated network on a replicated copy of that production in that secondary location? So along with that whole patch, patch and test, that IT, the whole potentially there's a there's a um, a development angle there as well where people can spin up a development copy of that data in that secondary location. Things like security audits, be able to do that as well over there. And then also just that, that it's much more than that DR because you can couple those in. Yes, the documentation is an absolute must and a key for what we're bringing and a pain point that we're removing. The automated testing, testing is really just a value add on top of that that whole DR piece, the ability to now leverage that that more that that uh, already purchased kit in that secondary location is is an added benefit. And I guess the final thing to to say from my point of view is around the support. So today it's VM, VMware only to begin with in version one. But what that does, so VMware to VMware, that's that's fine. That covers about eighty six percent of the the virtualized workloads across the world. So a good number to be going at. But also with the inclusion of VMware on AWS, so people what looking to get that public cloud feel, but don't want to hold, retrain their whole IT admin staff. So the ability to now use VAO as well as Veeam Backup and Replication to protect those workloads, but use VAO either from VMware on AWS back onto an on-premises solution or protecting it from on-premises to VMware on AWS. Because ultimately we just see it exactly the same as what we do on as as a, a as a normal VMware estate. Yeah, and I kind of think that that you know fits the kind of the, the, the Veeam strategy, doesn't it, of just having stuff available where you need it and when, you know, the idea that it shouldn't really matter whether it's on-prem, whether it's in a cloud, whether it's multi-cloud, you know, you know, me, me, me as somebody delivering IT services, I just want it to work, you know, and I, and I think that the, you know, the idea with a tool like this, that, and again, you know, for, for anybody listening to this who's built DR plans in a, a more traditional way with documentation and, and writing run books and trying to keep those things up to date, and you, you know, you kind of touched on compliance, I think the main, the amount of times that I get asked to get involved in this kind of work because it's driven by some external audit or by some external compliance body insisting that you've got it as a as an organization you know I think that kind of stuff the ability to use this as a tool to help you to do that and help you to maintain the compliance of it I, I just I just don't think can be underestimated and, and certainly um, the projects I've just done recently I, I certainly wish I had my hands on this be, before that um, as opposed to finding about it um, after I'd finished but, uh, <laughs> but you know there's timing for you um, so so if people are listening to this and, and they're intrigued by what availability orchestrator might be able to do for them, how it might be able to help out their business, uh, how can people find out a little bit more about it? So 
on Veeam.com. That's obviously where the best the best place to find any of the the recent blogs or the white papers that have been created. You'll also find it Veeam.com uh, backslash availability hyphen orchestrator. So that's the page. But there's links all over the place, especially because it's just been released. Uh, also, if there is interest of it, then just ping me on Twitter. So I'm at at Michael Cade one. Um, yeah, ping us, ping us any any questions that you have in regards to VAO, and there's a whole team of us that can can help there. Uh, and you also mentioned actually just talking about people can find you. You mentioned a little bit earlier on um, a, a really good blog series actually, and I promoted it out quite a bit when I saw it. Um, a blog series around replication and building this kind of highly available, uh, you know, multiple location type uh, backup and recovery uh, availability environments. Um, so, so where can people find your blog site? Where can they find those kind of articles? Yeah, so I blog over at vzilla.co.uk, and yeah, just to touch on the on the replication series. So I actually decided to write that just simply because coming from an SE and into this role, nine times out of ten with the customers that are buying Veeam Backup and Replication are buying Veeam Backup. They don't really know and care about the rest of that product that they're completely licensed for. So from my point of view, I wanted to just shine a light on that on that replication piece and, and just show that what people can do with the existing tools, not even with this VAO overlay over the top. It's really like what we can do within that Veeam Backup and Replication um, product is is pretty substantial when it comes to and those customers that have brought Veeam Backup and Replicate or Veeam, Veeam Backup Veeam for Backup then they've also got the replication arm already within the license key so it's really to shine a light on that Oh well, um, I, I think that's really fascinating stuff. I say, you know, this is this is definitely a tool that I'm, I'm going to be looked to be using in the future because I think, you know, as, as we've kind of touched on multiple times during this this chat, that um, I think that that ability to orchestrate and automate some of these really complex tasks, but absolutely business crucial tasks as well. You know, I, I just think the benefit of being able to do that re- really can't be underestimated. So, um, but look, Michael, you know, we're, we're, we've run out of time here. Um, thank you for appearing on the show yet again. Um, I'll, I'll have to try and find some different guests, I think, in the future. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank, thanks for coming on. I think that's, that's really fascinating stuff and, and certainly interested to see how uh, Availability Orchestrator develops in the future. So, um, but Michael, for now, look, thanks for your time. Great talking to you again. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Rob. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, why not leave us a review and subscribe? You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So, until next time, thanks for listening.